catch from Harper. Here's the 3 2. Swung on. Crush. He's done it. <laughs> How about that for heroics into the second deck as Bryce Harper has tied this game? On a 3 2 catch here in the bottom of the eighth inning, it's 6 to 6 on Harper's sixth career grand slam. Unbelievable. That's what the MV3 does. He does things like that. He does the unthinkable to put your team back into a game. Welcome back to Around the John. I'm your host, Logan Peter, alongside Colin Summer, as always. And it's it's like it's almost like I don't I, I I expect these things to happen when he comes up in situations like this now, Colin. I expect him to have the unthinkable happen every time that this guy steps up to the plate. He's MVP. He's MV3, right? Yeah. Uh, I foresaw it uh, solely because I knew Reese was going to strike out or get out in some form. Um, that just shows you where my faith is at with him. But then when Bryce came up, I just had a feeling. Uh, and the reason why I had that feeling is because they briefly showed... Bryce Harper's career numbers against Rafael Iglesias prior to his at bat. And he was three for five with five RBIs and two home runs. Or something like that. I just knew it was gonna happen. I just had a feeling. I feel like a ton of kid a ton of people had that feeling. Uh that kid who had his rally cap on at the end of the game. Yeah, he looked like he was about to cry beforehand. Yeah, he was crying. I can say I've been there. He was crying tears of joy. I've definitely been there. I mean, and that was after that was after Stott actually. Oh, for sure. Once, once all that happened, I mean, another another huge, huge home run that I didn't even share the audio for because I just loved Francie's call on Harper's home run, but Bryson Stott as well. And we're gonna get into that later, obviously. But for now, we're gonna start how we normally do. Let's kick it off with the MLB whip around. Speaking of that Angels Philly series. Mike Trout, he continues to struggle. He is actually on his worst Ofer run in his MLB career. He's Ofer his last 26. He got a walk in yesterday's game and a run scored. That's the best he's done on this East Coast trip. Uh, they played the New York Yankees in a three-game series. So whew, anybody who plays the Yankees know that you, you come out of that series deterred. Like the Yankees have been that team this season, both teams in New York, which we'll get into in a little bit later. But uh, his average has now dipped down to 274. About a week and a half ago, he was batting 310. Uh, he hasn't batted below 280 since his rookie season in 2011, where he actually batted around 240, I believe, in 40 games played when he got called up for uh, September. Look, it's never fun seeing a guy like Mike Trout struggle like he has. But, you know, John Cruck mentioned it a couple times in the broadcast this entire weekend. He looks like he's standing a little bit higher in his... Uh, swing patterns he's getting down to the ball but it kind of looks like he's arching down on his shoulder trying to lift it trying to get elevation whereas most of the time throughout his career Mike Trout does Mike Trout things and he just attacks through the zone head down keeps his shoulder square and that's how he gets all that power and torque because he uses his lower body that's where all of Mike Trout's power comes from he is a guy built from the ground up so Mike Trout he's starting to get away from his fundamentals I don't know Colin what, what, what have you been seeing um, the biggest thing with Mike Trout that we all know him for is that short, sweet, compact swing. And I noticed it a few times. 
he is capable of hitting the ball at, to all parts of the field. If it's an outside pitch, he'll take it the other way. If it's an inside pitch, he'll pull it down the line. Simple as that. But what I'm noticing is that I saw a few sliders that were down and away or just e even in the middle of the zone, but not in the middle of the zone uh, in terms of eye level, but uh, outside. And he's trying to pull everything. And, and that's what I'm noticing. He's not just going with the flow of the ball, going with the flow of the pitch. He's trying to pull everything. Uh, you can see that his arms are extending uh, a bit farther than they usually do. And again, that comes back to his trademark short compact swing that literally everybody knows and loves. Uh, so really, I just think this is a this is a matter of him straying a little bit further away from his fundamentals. Uh, I don't think it's going to last long. It's the worst of his career, obviously. I'm really surprised because they just got swept by the Yankees in New York and coming to his hometown. I thought, you know, he'd have a bit of motivation. Uh, a ton of people there supporting him, even Phillies fans probably supporting him because even Phillies fans love Mike Trout, solely because he's from here. But that was not the case. He continued his over, and like you said, he's now over 26. Uh, lowest batting average uh, since his rookie season is what he's currently at. I mean, he's in my opinion, he's not going to finish at 274. I think he'll be just fine. Uh, I think it's just a matter of getting back in the cage, getting some reps. Uh, I'm not sure if they have an off day today, but if they do, I, I know a lot of teams do. Uh, but let me double check. Now they, uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. The Angels do not have an off day. Uh, he's going against Michael Waka, who's pitched decently well this year, but he's not, you know, some fireball here. He's not, you know, a Cy Young contender by any means, but hopefully this is an opportunity for him to get back on track. Uh, you know, sure we loved him underperforming against the Phillies. It made it easier for the Phillies to, you know, sweep the series, but I want to see Mike Trout succeed. So, uh, like I said, it's just a matter of getting back in that cage, getting some repetitions, really working on going with the flow of the ball and getting back to It is worth practice. noting that in his career in Philadelphia, he's played five games at the bank. He's two for 20. Uh, two for 20 with 12 strikeouts. You know, it's it's been rough. It's been a rough go for him when he comes home. So, uh, he's only batting 184 in his career against the Phillies. He's got two home runs, four RBIs, all of those coming in the four games he's played against the Phillies in Los Angeles. So, it is worth noting he has never really had success, but he's always had success against the Yankees. He's actually quite frankly owned the Yankees. He's batting over 300 in his career against them. The fact that he went into New York and just did not do anything. He did not touch a baseball. Uh, it's definitely concerning. So we'll we'll see. We'll keep an eye out for Mike Trout. Hopefully he gets back into the groove because, like you said, Millville repping. We always love to see Mike Trout succeeding. Uh, God damn, the Mets are good. Uh, the Mets they're looking strong. They split their series against the Dodgers in Los Angeles. Definitely could have went either way. The Dodgers are obviously a very, very good team, and right now, arguably, those are the two best teams in the National League. Uh, they still don't have their two best starters in Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer. Uh, both of them are going to at least take a month off. I know Max Scherzer was out with some freak injury. He got bit by his dog after his dog had a freak accident, and he went over to try to console the dog, and I guess something happened with his hand, so... He said it's not a story, but when you play in New York, everything's going to be a story. <laughs> everything's going to be yeah, a story, especially a when story. you're missing significant time for a baseball team that's competing for a division. 
that doesn't always compete for a division, and that is a relatively big baseball town. Queens loves their Mets. Uh, so, I don't know. The thing with the Mets is they're finally getting the production that they thought they were going to get from Francisco Lindor just a tad bit. He's still not up to par to where we thought a $340 million player would be, but he is being productive. Pete Alonso has been an absolute star for that Mets team. I mean, he is no doubt, with Freddie Freeman gone, the best first base. And Matt Olsen's a great player, don't get me wrong. I think Pete Alonso is head and shoulders above him. And at a younger age, Pete's been very, very good this year. He knows how to hit a ball. And all he has to do is make contact on the sweet part of the bat. And he has, uh, yes, he has so much power that it just flies. The three-run home run he hit uh, two nights ago against the Dodgers was unreal. Uh... Brewstar, what's his what's his name? Brewstar, yes, Brewstar Gratterall, three two, made a great pitch on a slider. Literally, if Alonso didn't swing, it would have been a called strike three that he would have argued, and it, like that's how good of a pitch it was. He leaned out on the opposite side, poked it to the right center gap, and it hit the top of the fence and went over. It was unbelievable. It was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. This guy Pete Alonso has been there, done that, and are already eight games ahead of the second place Braves and 11 games above our beloved Phillies in the division. Uh, it's going to be tough to catch them, especially if Scherzer and DeGrom come back in that month span and do what they do. Yeah, for sure. So, like I said, right now, Max Scherzer, uh, like you said, he has that freak injury with his dog. Uh, the original injury was an oblique injury, and Max Scherzer has stated and made it clear that this dog bite is not going to affect his return timeable or timetable. Not timeable. Went over this last week, and then also Jacob Degrom coming back from the shoulder surgery or not surgery, shoulder injury. Um, he has about a month left. I believe he just pitched a 19-pitch bullpen session. Uh, kind of an obscure number which I found to be kind of weird and eye-catching when I saw that. Um, but when they get him back, I mean, that's going to be a huge boost. Right now, they're dealing with Carrasco, Bassett, Taiwan Walker, David Peterson, currently, uh, you know, their four best starters. You know, when you get Scherzer and DeGrom back, they're headlining that rotation. And then you have Tyler Meagle, who is also working on him getting back relatively soon. And Bassett and Walker, I mean, that's got to be one of the best rotations, if not the, the best rotation in baseball at full strength. And then on the hitting side, you mentioned Lindor and Pete providing a ton of production. But I also want to bring up Starling Marte and Marcana, who have really held their own. Marcana is hovering close to 300 in terms of average, not showcasing a ton of power, but he has been able to get on base for the Mets. And when you are able to get on base, you have guys, like you said, Lindor and Alonso, who are able to knock them in. And then same with Marte. I mean, he's hitting for average. He's showcased a little bit of power. He's stealing bases like he usually does. All the typical things you would see out of Starling Marte. Uh, so these guys have really been key contributors for this team. You've Jeff, Jeff McNeil has hit over 300 for majority of the season as well. Uh, and, and this is all without Michael Conforto. Not saying Michael Conforto is some crazy player, but... They decided not to sign him back, and they go ahead and replace him with players who, at this point, are probably performing better than Michael Conforto would have. And it is notable uh, that Michael Conforto still has not signed with the team, but that's not the topic here. The Mets are looking really good, and that is without multiple key players playing right now. And as for the Phillies, that's very concerning. 
absolutely speaking of new york we got to talk about the other side of new york as well because the yankees have just been absolutely absurd as well they've been on a tear that i've never ever seen both of these new york teams be on at the same exact time which is something that you know as a philadelphia fan it's like uh, you know here we go again the yankees are good so what but when the mets are with them too it's like really come on man Really? Well, you guys both have to be good at the same time? That's something I just... It's, 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 it's yeah. just annoying. But yeah. one guy that's on an absolute mission for this team is Aaron Judge. This guy has been a downright superstar for them. He's batting 313 now for this team so far. In 198 at-bats, he's got 42 RBIs, 21 home runs already, Colin. He's got 21 home runs. He had 39 last year. And everybody was screaming that he deserved MVP. At 52 and 17, when everybody said he got robbed of an MVP, we're not even close to halfway done this season. Not even close. Still got another 30 games to go until the halfway point officially of this season. He's got 21 home runs already, batting 313. On a contract year that he already claims the Yankees lowballed him already last offseason. He came out after that. And said, guess what? I'm going to push you guys to the best record in baseball. And I'm going to push us to a playoff spot. And then you're going to pay me double of what you offered me because you are the New York Yankees. Another big reason that the Yankees have been the Yankees. Nasty, Nestor, Cortez, Luis Severino, Jamison Tyone. Three guys with a sub-3 ERA that have pitched at least 55 innings. Three guys that are not named Garrett Cole. Three guys that you did not expect to have such just quality outings from. I mean, Jordan Montgomery has pitched 60 innings already this year. And has just, he's got a three ERA exactly. One and one. That's your fifth starter. That's your fifth starter. Nestor Cortez. I mean, where did this guy come from, right? Uh, He comes out of nowhere. Five and one. 1.5 ERA. 60 innings pitched. Are you kidding me? Opponents are batting a 178 against him. Nestor Cortez out of nowhere. Like, unbelievable. Garrett Cole, forgot about him, right? Yeah, he's still 5-1 with a 2.78 ERA, and that's a down year for him with 81 strikeouts. They have so much talent just all over the place. Michael King, another guy. 2.9 ERA. 31 innings pitched out of the pen. Clay Holmes. Clay Holmes? I think he's given up one run all year with a .34 ERA. 27 innings pitch, huh? Oh, I know. Like, Clay Holmes, well, well, Araldis hits the shelf. Before he hit the shelf, he was awful. Uh, his ERA might not reflect that, but if you look at his whip, he clearly was getting bailed out um, after he'd get pulled. But now that he's on the shelf, Clay Holmes is the closer, and Clay Holmes has been magnificent for this team. And a lot of Yankees fans, uh, some that we even know, questioned the trade for him last year at the deadline because they send over Hoy Park to the Pirates for Clay Holmes, and everyone's like, the Yankees needed to do more. And while it didn't really have an impact last year, clearly has an impact this year because Clay Holmes has been undoubtedly their best reliever. And I also want to talk about other guys that they traded for. Not saying they are superstar power, but they have come up clutch in each of their own respective ways. Josh Donaldson, walk-off sack fly the other night, IKF. 
as that kind of flavor has been absolutely solid, about as solid as you'd expect him to be from the Yankees. Uh, and the big thing with IKF is he's a, he can play multiple positions, so that's great for the Yankees. Uh, but he's been super, super solid. And again, I'm not saying these guys are superstars, but they're doing what they need to do in order for the Yankees to continue to win in the fashion that they are. And that's why I think they are so big for this team. Uh, you're not going to see prime Josh Donaldson MVP. Josh Donaldson hit 300, mash 40 home runs. It's just not realistic at this point in his career. Not even close. He's not going to come close to that. But when you have him getting that walk-off sack fly here and there, I'm going to walk off base hit here and there. Same with Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa can hit over 280. He plays catcher. He plays shortstop. There's not a lot of players who do that. Uh, but these guys have come up, come up very, very clutch in their in their own respective ways. So that's what's been huge for the Yankees. And then obviously Aaron Judge, who you already mentioned, uh, off to an insanely hot start. It's reasonable to believe that he's not going to keep this pace. Uh because I think you'd get way too head over heels excited for him to mash, what, 70 home runs at this point. He could. Anyone could. But it's realistic to hold him to those expectations while batting 313 as well. He's gonna he's on pace to win MVP right now. There's no doubt about that. But positive regression tends to settle in no matter who the player is over the course of more at-bats. So I, I think the thing with the Yankees this year that's been interesting is like they've completely flipped the script on what the big bad Yankees usually are. They're usually all about mashing their way to championships, and that's how we're going to do it. We're going to hit, and we're going to hit far and long. So the fact that their pitching staff has done what they're doing, they only have one guy batting over 300 and two guys batting over... No, two guys batting over 280. No, three guys batting over 280 because Jose Trevino has been pretty good for them. But he, only ha- he has less than 100 at best. So... The fact that they flipped the script has been pretty crazy. We're going to get to the Joe Girardi firing once we talk about the Phillies. So we're going to get to our first topic here. Who is on the move? As the midway point of June looms, so do the trades. So who is most likely to be on the move this year, Colin? Yeah, so right off the bat, I'm thinking Josh Bell. Um already on his second team in his career now uh and he's found early success this season with the nationals and uh i believe in his rookie year he also had very early success in his the season and he did tend to slow down uh but right now he's batting very well he's not under a hefty contract and and he's certainly a guy who could slot in at first base or slot in as a dh for a dh needy team and what I think would be right for him, the perfect situation for him. I don't really want to see it happen, but realistically, if they sent him to the Yankees, it would make a lot of sense to me. You know, you have a crowded outfield right now. Um, a lot of people are unsure about Stanton playing right field, but it's likely that he will play right field because he has made it clear to the Yankees organization that has helped him with his hitting. And if that is the case, the Yankees are going to take, going to cater to that and they are going to let him play the field. Judge has been perfectly fine in center field. Uh, frankly, he's been very good in center field. Uh, so you're not taking much of a defensive hit there. I mean, he's gold, gold, gold glove caliber player, no doubt. And then you have Joey Gallo in left, who has underperformed massively, but another gold glove fielder potential in left field. 
uh, it would make sense at that point to move Hicks to the bench because Aaron Hicks is not good anymore. Simple as that. Uh, the contract they dished out for him, poor, and he is just is just not good anymore, apparently. He can't hit. He hasn't fielded very well. Simple enough. You slot. You let Stan play right field, and you let Gallo play left field, and you slot Josh Bell in at that DH spot. That is a massive bat, especially for, if I'm not mistaken, he, he has a switch, switch hitter. hitter. That would be a, yeah, that would be a massive bat. Yeah, Josh Bell is an interesting one, too, because he's just the type of person that you don't, you don't necessarily know what you're going to get from him. Uh, like this year, like you said, he's been very, very, very good, batting over 300. Uh, doesn't really show the power that he did in Pittsburgh at a time. He only has five home runs, but... You put him on a first base needy team. Uh, I don't really see the Yankees trading for him. I just don't. I know. But it's not the fact that he would play first base. It's that he'd. I just don't see them trading for another big potentially Nelson big guy. I I don't know. I just don't. I just don't believe he fits the Yankees mold. But somebody I do believe that might go after him is the Houston Astros, considering that their old first baseman Yuri Gurriel is batting below 230. And he really hasn't shown any signs of improvement this entire season at first base. So I could see a team like the Houston Astros sweeping in and trying to get Josh Bell because he would really thaw out a lineup that doesn't necessarily need power. They don't need power. They already have enough of that. And Jordan Alvarez, Kyle Tucker, Jose Altuve, Bregman, all those guys can hit for pop. It's the fact that Josh Bell can hit it consistently. And they don't really, they have enough speedy, tiny guys to get away with making a move for a guy like this so i don't know i I, I like josh bell i do think he's on the move for sure uh one guy that i like to talk about is luis castillo for the cincinnati reds luis castillo has been the type of guy that you look at and his name pops up a lot this time of year especially the past couple years because he's been on the reds now for i think six years yeah six years he's been on the reds now so, but he constantly shows that he has a proven ability to strike out hitters. And when he's on his game, he can be a very, very viable third or fourth starter for a potential postseason team. Luis Castillo is a right-handed pitcher, gets strikeouts, and he has mean, nasty off-speed pitches. I mean, he's, he's, he really does. But there's a downside to Castillo in the aspect of when he is not on his game, he gets rocked. And he... He's been rocked a lot. There hasn't been a season since he has one season with a better win-loss percentage or more wins than losses, I should say. That could be a test to the Cincinnati Reds, but you also have to think back to a couple years. The past couple years, the Reds have had a very viable lineup. So, look, there's a downside to him, but he's clearly there and he's clearly will be worth it for a team. He's another guy that's on a tiny tiny contract one year 7.35 million that's nothing for a starter you can go out and get him a team that i think maybe would be looking at a luis castillo could possibly be a team uh, like the minnesota twins a team that is in first place in their division by a good four and a half games right now and they really have no pitching outside of joe ryan joe ryan's been outstanding for them this year but besides that you don't really know what you're going to get from guys like bailey over you don't know there's a lot of uncertainty in that rotation so if you add a guy like luis castillo to that mix he can maybe you know get things going on certain days for you 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm a big fan of Luis Castillo. You know, he has had his ups and downs. Um, tends to start out the season fairly slow, but then, but then ends up settling perfectly fine. Uh, he's on the younger side of most pitchers. And what he showcases, you know, with his... He throws a very fast fastball. Obviously, very high-velocity pitcher. And he has 30, dirty, off-speed pitches. Anything that gets him would love to have him. And the biggest thing is, I, I know, you know, he's only under a one-year right now, but, but that's a very surprisingly cheap contract that he's currently dealing with right now. So I, any team would love to pick him up. I'm not sure what his cost would be. Uh, I don't know if it would be top prospect worthy, but definitely a solid prospect, I'd say. Maybe a bench piece that would also get sent over. But I like Luis, Luis Castillo. I would love to have him on the Phillies personally. I just don't know if that's the area we're going to be targeting, unfortunately. Um, but, but any team that gets him is going to enjoy having him. Uh, my next person is Ramon Laureano. Uh, the Oakland Athletics are down in the dumps this year. Um, well, they haven't been the worst team in the MLB like most people expected. Uh, they still have been pretty not good. <laughs> um, and then on top of that, it, not really talking about Ramon Laureano, but more so the Oakland Athletics and why I feel like they need to trade him. The Athletics as a whole, they just need to hit a reset. They need to relocate, move to Vegas, do something. Right now, they're averaging less, either less than or just over 4,000 fans. That's poor. I've seen videos of the stadium, how dirty it is, how unsanitary it is. They need to demo that stadium and they need to move on. They need to go to Vegas, go join the Raiders over there, get a nice owner who's going to cater to them. Great market. That's my first issue. But before they do that, they need to train Ramon Laureano and, and to begin this reset. I'd say Laureano is probably the last long-standing Oakland athletic currently there outside of maybe Frankie Montas, who Logan will mention shortly. But you had Matt Olson get shipped. You had Matt Chapman get shipped. You had Sean Manaya get shipped. Mark Connor got signed by the Mets. So he's not on the team anymore. Just a lot of these guys. I mean, you have so many utility players like Chad Pinder, Tony Kemp playing the field starting for this team every single day and that really shows where the state of this team is at so Ramon Laureano needs to go uh he's a guy who has never really hit for average but he can showcase power but the biggest thing with him is he is a outfield stabilizer for a team that is lacking quality defense he is able to stabilize that outfield with his defense I would love to see him on the Phillies if Mickey Maniac does not pan out. And I think by the time the trade deadline hits, I think we'll get enough of a gauge of where Mickey Maniac is. And I think Mickey will be fine. But in the case that he is not, and and, and with the and with how our defense is currently, with Bryce DHing, Cassianos in right, Schwarber in left, Ramon Laureano in center field would be beautiful if Mickey does not work. We know what the Oakland Athletics are all about. Fire sale, fire sale, fire sale. Let's get guys that are good, and then when they are ready for a contract, let's get more prospects so we can keep trying to find a way to not pay anybody and stay relevant. It's Billy Bean Baseball. It usually works, but this year it is not working. Uh, and, you know, they've been speculated to leave and go to Vegas at this point. Uh, it, it's quite sad when your team is looking at a 13 and 13 record on the road and a 7 and 23 record on at home because they feel like they're on the road every time they play a home game. Uh, quite sad, but 
Loriano, 100% agree. Uh, one team that uh, I would look out for is the Boston Red Sox. They always love getting a sure defensive center fielder out there in Fenway. Uh, they love somebody that can patrol center field because not everybody can, especially at that ballpark. There's a lot of weird dimensions that you have to take into account. Uh, I don't quite know if the Red Sox are going to be where they want to be at the time of the deadline to make a move like that, but just something to look out for. Uh, another athletic that I want to talk about is the pitcher, uh, Frankie Montas, uh, another guy that, you know, like we just talked about, due for a contract after this year, he got a one-year $5 million deal, and, you know, now it's time for the A's to do what the A's normally do and get rid of him. So, Montas is an interesting guy, because, like Castillo and, like, many of his former teammates, he's always on the trade block. This isn't the first time we've heard his name come up in these trade speculations. Uh, this year, he's not been awful for what you can be on a terrible Oakland Athletics team. He's 2-6. and six. The record doesn't speak for it. But 70 innings under his belt, 78 strikeouts, pitching to a tune of a 3.06 ERA. It's pretty solid. Anybody who trades for this guy is going to like who they're getting, especially if they have a short defense behind him because... He gives up hard hit balls, but he also strikes out a lot of hitters. If you have a short defense behind this guy, he's pretty solid. And he's also only 29 years old. So you can maybe be a rental or you can also maybe try to get this guy for a little bit long term. Three to four year deal if you like what you see for that rental. Frankie Montas, what uniform could I see you in? I mean, there's a couple teams that we've talked about that are going to be pitcher needy. Um... Rental-wise, I could see the Tampa Bay Rays maybe going out and getting Frankie Montas because considering the injuries that they've had to deal with at the pitching position. Uh, Minnesota Twins, again, I think they're going to be in the running for a lot of pitchers, especially the Angels are another team the if, Angels. as long as they don't keep sliding the way they are. A lot of teams that if, if they're in the right position, I think they'll make a move. St. Louis Cardinals are another team that I think could probably make a move for a starting pitcher. Essentially, there's plenty yes. of teams. Yes, essentially, I think Frankie Montas will be gone due to the fact that there are plenty of teams that are needy in that regard. Yes, I totally agree. Uh, the Cardinals, actually, that, that sounds like a very quality spot for him to land. Uh, Flaherty's on his way back, but the rest of the rotation seems to be lacking somewhat. Uh, so that would be a really quality location for him. Uh, but sticking within that division of somebody who might get shipped out of that division, the man who stole $30 million from the Philadelphia Phillies, David Robertson. Uh, very short tenure when it came to actually pitching for the Phillies. Uh, again, stole $30 million. I'm repeating that because it infuriates me. He's currently a right-handed relief pitcher for the Chicago Cubs. He's under a one-year, $3.5 million contract, and he has been lights out for the Cubs. Uh, he has pitched in 19 games to the tune of a 1-0 record with a 1.66 ERA. In 21.2 innings pitched, he's struck out 30 batters. He has a .92 whip, and he has seven saves on the air. He has been fantastic, although he has had, you know, injury issues. He is 37 years old as well. But there is a team who might not see this guy as a closer like he is for the Cubs and would love to slot him in as just a guy who can be there for a hold situation. 
I don't think he gets shipped to a team that needs a closer. I think he gets shipped to a team that needs a reliever, if that makes sense. Definitely, it definitely makes sense, but I agree with you in the aspect that I do think he can be a viable closer for a team if he needs to be thrusted in that role. It's just a matter of him staying healthy, and this year, like you said, he's been healthy, of course, when he's not, of course, of course, when he's not with the Philadelphia Phillies, he'll stay healthy and be a viable option, but... That's besides the point. The final guy on this list I want to talk about has played many meaningful games in his career already. Uh, is another guy part of that magical, magical little core the Cubs had. He was just coming up at that time. But nonetheless, Chicago Cubs catcher Wilson Contreras. He's now 30 years old. He's played the better half of eight crazy how we're so old he's played eight years with the cubs already wilson Contreras. his brother's already played two years with the braves unbelievable Whew. anyway anyway yeah we're old nine home runs this year 22 rbis he's batting 276 there are so many teams in dire need of a catcher that can hit <laughs> so many i mean really James McCann has been absolutely terrible ever since he signed that contract with the Mets. They're a team that could use a catcher. Jose Trevino has been decent, but could you imagine if Wilson Contreras was playing for the New York Yankees right now? Ugh. Like, that would be just absolutely filthy. The Cardinals... The Blue Jays could use a catcher, but Gabriel soon. Moreno is... Yeah. I don't think they want to stunt his growth. But then again, think about it. I don't know if uh, the, the Mets want to stunt Alvarez. But this could just be a rental too, you know? He's only on a one-year deal. I could see the Blue Jays maybe going out and trying to get him. I could see a team like... Man, like I want to say the Los Angeles Dodgers would be a team in the running. But Will Smith is Will Smith. But he's also another guy that's always hurt. Always hurt. I'd say the Milwaukee Brewers don't necessarily love Rowdy Telez. And if they're still in a good position, then they could be in the mix. A lot of teams that could be interested in Wilson Contreras, for sure. He's the type of guy that I really do think he's going to be on the move, strictly on the fact that the Cubs are not good at like at all. That the Cubs are not a good baseball team this year. And they really have nothing tying these two together. He's going to hit free agency. So, I don't know. I do know that Castillo and Montas both have club options so they have a year that they could necessarily stay with the team they get traded for but in reality all six of these guys that we just talked about are on one-year deals and they're all basically gonna be a rental so we'll see what happens Colin we'll see what happens I don't know I I just I just think that yes, at will. the end of the day like you said I don't necessarily think there's gonna be a lot of movement the trade deadline but these six are definitely names that i think will be at the top of teams list for so sure with that being said we're gonna move on to another topic we've had so many guys adley rutschman spencer torkelson bryson stott just to name a few that have come up from the mlb pipeline top 100 list and they've now graduated just like colin they have now graduated they're done and they don't have to yeah. do 
the MLB pipeline anymore. Because they're not students anymore. They have graduated to the big time. But a couple guys that are still on that list are students. Because, of course, the line just keeps moving. And more and more come. And more and more go. But these four guys, to me and Colin, are just the cream of the crop. These are the guys that are going to be coming next. And, you know, you best believe you're going to hear these guys' names very soon on their, maybe not their respective teams, because they might get traded for a big-time player that's in the league now. But as of right now, I do think I expect to see all these guys up this year at some point. So we'll see. Maybe not the first guy. But let's get into it, Colin. So who's your, who's, your, who's your first prospect that, you know, the ATJ fans should be paying attention to? Corbin Carroll, straight up. The Diamondbacks do not have anything going for them right now, except for young talent. Alec Thomas has been up, and he is a ranked number two or three prospect, I believe. Uh, let me confirm that. Yeah, he's their number two prospect. I wasn't sure if Jordan Lawler was ahead of him or not. They have three guys. Three guys in the top 20. And I love Corbin Carroll. He is gross at baseball, at this game that gets played. Let me just read off some stats and you let me know what you think. 305 average. 425 on base percentage. 626 slugging. 1.051 OPS. 174 at-bats in 44 games. He has 53 hits, 9 doubles, 4 triples, 13 home runs, and 31 RBIs, 31 walks, and 18 stolen bases. In every possible hitting category... He has been absolutely dominant. And this is at double A too. Not some single high A ball. Double double A, not triple A. But double A. But I also want to talk about what he did in seven games at the end of last year in high A. I know it was only seven games. But he batted 435 with a 1.465 OPS. Slugged 913 with three stolen bases, two home runs, two triples, one double. The whole point is he dominates in every single category. He will hit for power. He is fast. He is a good fielder. He is a primary prospect that is a five-tool athlete. He is going to be very good, and I am confident in that. Corbin Carroll. Yes, he's, he's, he really has been solid. Playing for the Amarillo Sod Poodles of the Double-A Diamondbacks. Yes. Uh, uh, put some respect on his name. 16th overall pick in 2019. He's 19 days younger than me. Gosh. Which is weird. So weird. Like you said, the 13 home runs, 31 RBIs, 305 average. Uh, he's humming along, and he's fast. He's yeah, yeah. He's got yeah. speed. 18 stolen bases already. I mean, he is a five-tool athlete, is what he. And he's is. been pretty solid in the field as well, in center field too, as a very, very valuable position for any 
MLB franchise. Uh, a guy that I love talking about because he's just somebody that, you know, me and you both played against. Uh, it, it, it's fun to talk about this guy, Anthony Volpe, because he's just... I don't know. He, he's just always been so talented. We, we could always tell growing up. Uh, he's the year younger than us. A year and 13 months younger than us. It's like, wow, so sad. <laughs> All right. It's crazy. Whatever, though. Somerset Patriots. He hasn't had the best year with Somerset. Uh, he's only batting 209, six home runs, 24 RBIs. But take that for what it's worth. He has. 705 at bats in the MLB or in minor league baseball. 200 of them coming this year. Batting 209. He's still humming along to a 265 average in minor league baseball. He's been that good. So I don't know. I love the way Anthony Volpe plays, and I really do think he has a special, special talent as a middle infielder. I don't know if they'll play him a second. I don't know if they'll play him a shortstop, but I think whatever one is ready first. He will be thrusted into that role because he's very, very valuable here. Reminds me a lot of Gliber when Gliber came up, but hopefully for yeah. him, he can maintain the hitting and, you know, hopefully he's a good, good yeah. player for years to come because I love seeing this guy succeed. And yeah, last year he was unbelievable uh, in uh, single A Tampa and then high A as well. Batted 302 in single A Tampa and then batted 286 in high A. He split. He played 54 games in Tampa, 55 in high A. So, I mean, he was excellent last year, and he's still super young, like you said, super raw, very raw talent. 21 years old. A lot to come from Volpe. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's cool. Cool being able to tell people that we played against him when we were younger. Uh, he's uh, he's a local. He's a New Jerseyan. Just cool to say. Uh, our next guy is on the verge of graduating. He's currently finishing up finals. Got to make sure he passes all of his classes. Uh, Shane Boz. And first of all, he was part of the trade that absolutely ripped off the Pirates. The Rays go and get Austin Meadows, who is now on the Detroit Tigers, but did his due diligence with his time with the Rays. They grabbed Glass now, who was gross. Unfortunately, had a UCL tear, but is working back towards next season. And Shane Boz, who, like I said, is on the verge of graduating, uh, currently doing his rehab assignment, should be up shortly, and he's probably never going to look back. In 13 innings pitched so far during his rehab assignment in AAA, all in AAA, he's got a 1.38 ERA in four games started, uh, opponent batting average of 167, a .92 whip, the guy has all the makings of being an ace. Uh, now, the best part about him being part of this Rays organization is that they groom amazing pitchers. We saw it with Glass now. Like I said, unfortunately hurt. Shane McClanahan is looking like an early Cy Young contender, if not the leader. He's gross. And Shane Boz in, I believe, yeah, he's, uh, he started... I'm trying to figure out last year. Yeah, yeah, So last year, he started three games. He went 2-0 with a 2.03 ERA in 13 innings pitched. An opponent average of one point, or of 130. And then a whip of 6-8. He's going to be very good, and he is going to be key 
when he slips, slides right into that rotation. Like I said, once he is there, he's not going to look back. He is a phenomenal player. Regular season in 2021, 2-0, the 2.03. 18 strikeouts and 13 innings pitched. I love talking about this guy, strictly on the fact that I look to my left column. I, yes, I was about I to bring to it up. Left, yes. I see our our on-card rookie Shane Bass signature. Ah, so nice. And the crazy, listen, the crazy part is that, so in Topps 2022 Series 1, he does not have an official rookie card, and he will be one of the headliners of Topps 2022 Series 2. So it's cool that we have a rookie card throwback on card auto and it's not even his official rookie card but technically that is his first rookie card so if he ends up performing whoo that'll go for a nice so let's go change. shane mass this is what we're saying uh the final guy on our list is another guy just i mean i hate i hate talking about because he's just gonna be so good uh francisco alvarez catcher for none other than the new york mets only position that they looking that they're looking to be needy in this season has been behind the plate and this guy's coming double a right now he plays for the binghamton rumble ponies and these names get fucking wild and wilder every single year excuse my language but i mean oh my gosh these names are just unreal unreal uh 10 home runs, 28 RBIs, 274 average this year. His career in the minor leagues, he's batting 282 behind the plate. Barely makes errors. Uh, he's a general behind the plate, has a rocket arm. This guy's scary, Colin. He is scary. Yeah, I don't, I'm not looking forward to seeing him hit against the Phillies. It's not going to be fun at all. He's 20. He's 20. Yeah, so we might have, we're going to have to for a, long a time. terrible old pitcher. But that won't happen because Steve Cohen actually has been oh, viable. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? So that is it for the prospect talk. There are four guys that you guys have to be paying attention to Anthony Volpe, Corbin Carroll, Shane Bass, and Francisco Alvarez. All right, Colin, let it out. We're going to have a Phillies talk. It's time. Joe Girardi therapy session because, you know, we both need to just get it out and say what needs to be said about the tenure. So, Con, I'll let you go first. Yeah, because I got a lot. I got a lot to discuss. I just want to run you through a timeline of things that happened that made me hate Joe Girardi with, <laughs> with a burning passion. Because this is a sensitive topic. Number one. Bring it back to last year. We had just signed a guy to fill in because we were dealing with multiple injuries and he went by the name of Travis Jankowski. And in a very crucial moment, we have one of our better power hitters up and Reese, it was Reese Hoskins currently batting. Or no, it was, it was Reese on second. He had just hit a double. And we needed to tie this game up. And we had... I want to say one of our better hitters, I can't remember who it was, but some guy who was able to bring in extra base hits. So it wasn't a matter of a base hit scoring race, it was a matter of more than likely it being an extra base hit scoring race. 
So they bring in Travis Jankowski, a guy who hadn't seen the field in forever, first of all. So he decides to pinch run Reese, and at face value, maybe it makes sense. But you're also taking Reese out of the game. Yeah, at the time, he was very, very hot. You're taking one of your hotter hitters out of the lineup. And it's not even the fact that Travis Jankowski got thrown out at third on an attempt stolen base. It's the fact that he got caught sleeping and got picked off at second by the catcher. So it's little things like that that make me scratch my head with Girardi. Let's continue on to this season. Kyle Schwarber laying down the law at the plate. Angel Hernandez having one of the worst nights of his career. Eric Lauer had 14 strikeouts. You'll never see that again. I just want to put that out there. Good pitcher, but you're never going to see that again. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Gives me a sore throat when I talk about a sore, sore topic here. Schwarber laying down the law. Gets ejected. Let's Angel know who's in charge. Girardi comes out. Not fired up at all. Strolling out, taking a casual walk. Probably said to Angel, I'm so sorry. Do you want some hugs and kisses? If you're a rarely if you are a demanding good manager in that situation, you lay down the law, you get ejected, you kick dirt at the ump, you spit while you're talking at him, you get infuriated, you have the veins popping out of your neck, but no. Joe Girardi wanted to go kiss him on the forehead and tell him he's sorry for what Kyle did. But let's continue. What else has been done? Uh, this was more a more recent one. Well, first of all, he can't manage a bullpen. I want to put that out there. I know he's not giving a lot with the with the Phillies bullpen, but he makes some awful decisions, and he turned James Norwood into the new David Hale. It uh, James Norwood is awful. He's awful. He's terrible. But Joe Girardi loved to play him for reasons that I just don't know. <laughs> Excuse me. And then the thing that put me over the top, a left-handed pitcher in the series again, I believe it was Jose Alvarez for the Giants. A left-handed pitcher. Mickey Moniak. Trying to get some confidence instilled into him. Trying to get him gone. Finally comes back from the I.L. after having an insane spring training. It is a left-handed pitcher. Mickey Moniak is a left-handed hitter. Joe Girardi decides to pinch hit him with Odubel Herrera, who is literally awful. He is terrible. And it's still a lefty-on-lefty matchup. And at that point, I'm like, Joe, his favorite candy must be Airheads because he has nothing going on in there. He got blessed with an All-Star Hall of Fame lineup in 2009. And he gets way too much credit for that World Series win. That is a team that should have won at least two World Series. And should have made it back there at least three times. But no. He gets way too much credit for that for that World Series. And my God. Did he almost infuriate me as much as Gabe Kapler did with the Phillies. And that is saying a lot because I hated Gabe Kapler. But I am so thankful that Dave did not make me wait until the end of the season. And I am so happy Joe Girardi has officially been evicted from the city of Philadelphia. Well said. Uh, you know, after two and a half... <laughs> that felt so good. Not to call you old, but that felt so good. You're good. good after after two and a half there. seasons, no playoff appearances. I don't think they ever went over 500. 
even though they have a payroll well over $200 million, and the reigning National League MVP. Obviously, the team's flaws go way beyond what any manager can do. I would start with that. But this guy was not the man to lead the job, and he was not going to lead this team out of the basement of their 22-29 and 29 record at the time of his firing. And they were 12 games out of first place. Uh, of first place. Uh, I love this by the Philadelphia Inquirer. Uh, so sh shout out to them and shout out to Matt Mullen for, for this article. They did an article on where Girardi ranks among Phillies managers uh, based on winning percentage. So he pitched to the tune of an 132 and 141 record as manager of our fightings. Charlie Manuel is fifth overall in winning percentage with the Phillies. With a 780 and 636 record. Since then, there has not been one viable manager for the Philadelphia Phillies. Joe Girardi actually slots right under Gabe Kapler for 17th out of the 41 people that have managed the Philadelphia Phillies. He has the 17th best winning percentage. That is saying something coming from a franchise that has the most losses in the history of the game of baseball. Gabe Kapler went 161 and 163, so actually pitched to the tune of more games than Girardi finished with, and a better record. And Kapler sucked. <laughs> so Girardi really, really, yeah, really did. just just was not good. Yes, he, he really, he really just was not <laughs> a good baseball manager. And Colin, I tend to agree with you. I think he really did get blessed with that 2019. They won 103 games that year, and that was the only time, the only time, they won over 100 games. And from 2009 to 2000, like, I don't know, 12? Yeah, 12. 13 at least. 2009 to 12. That was arguably the greatest team in baseball. Like, that was the Dodgers now. So, the fact that they were winning only 90, they were still winning the division. 95 wins, 97 wins, 95 wins, no postseason success. Okay. So after that, their lineup and roster is just not as talented. Still talented, but not as talented. Four straight years, they don't make the playoffs, all under Joe Girardi. 13 through 16. 85 wins, 84 wins, 87 wins, 84 wins. The roster wasn't as talented, but you are the big, bad New York Yankees. You don't sit there and say, we're not good enough, so we're not going to win. They don't ever lay down like that. Four years they laid down like that. Joe Girardi was at the helm. 91 and 71 in 17. Got that wild card spot. Didn't win. Done. Spends two years at MLB Network. He spent two years at MLB Network, people. What? I mean, listen, Buck Walter, same thing. He spent some time at MLB Network, too. Great. I love it. And he's having success. If you're going to TV, man, go to TV. If you're going to come back and manage, come Stay back there. and do it viably. 28-32 with a team that has the fourth highest payroll in the league. There are some head-scratching decisions every single night that Joe Girardi made, especially with the bullpen alone that I just did not understand why is Reese Hoskins ever batting leadoff in any lineup ever 
I don't understand and I will never understand that will never ever ever make sense to me on any aspect yeah. is the fact of the matter I that he add let him lead off games and was actually confident it was going to work uh, I want to add something to that, uh, and I, I saw this yesterday, and I believe the number is 32. 32 times that the lineup was changed. Think about that. And I want to make a comparison to the White Sox and Tony La Russa. Uh, because about two weeks ago, the White Sox had a different lineup every single day, and I want to point out the fact that the White Sox are a playoff team on paper, and they were a playoff team last year but I've played mediocre baseball at best this year. And you might wonder why. Well, because there's no consistency in that lineup. How can you expect hitters to be consistent if they are getting tossed all over the place in the lineup? I mean, it's common, it's common sense. It is common baseball IQ to understand how consistency works. Yet Joe wanted to avoid that at all costs. And, I, and, and consistency works both ways. Consistency in the bullpen works both ways as well. The only guy consistently pitching in the same spot every single time was Knable, and he's been awful. And that's not Girardi's fault, but there's a time where a guy that's maybe pitching the eighth inning sometimes for you, not all the time, because for some reason you'd like to throw out Jairus Familia or Brad Hand. Brad Hand's been very, very good, don't get me wrong. But you throw out different guys in different situations that continuously... There used to be a time where Charlie Manuel had three set guys every single time and every single year out of that bullpen. Somebody would come in and pitch the seventh, somebody would come in and pitch the eighth, and somebody would come in and pitch the ninth. Whether that would be Chad Durbin, whether that would be JC Romero, whether that be Jonathan freaking Papelbon. It doesn't Ryan matter Madsen, who it was. One of my favorites. They were set in stone where they, unless they were hurt or unavailable to pitch because they pitched three or four straight days, they were there. That was who was going to pitch that inning. I don't understand where that has gone, but ever since then, there it's been non-existent. And Kapler, I guess, started it with all his analytics whack, whatever. Yes. But Girardi's continued it, and we thought, oh, this, you know, this veteran guy who's going to come in and get all this stuff done for us, he didn't get it done. And that's just something that was unacceptable. And quite frankly, I loved the decision to get rid of him because, like you said, he wasn't going to stay past this year anyway. Just get it over with. Uh, one guy who's been lovely to watch that we started the episode off with, his highlight to end last game. Please marvel at this guy. Not to hey, hey, hey. end right, Not to end game. it. Sorry, sorry, sorry. He, he, <laughs> he sparked a new life into the ball club yesterday. Bryce Aaron Max Harper, man. I'm going to say it every single time we go on this show. He's only 29 years old now still. He is arguably the best player in baseball. I don't care. I'll, I'll shout it from the rooftops. He is one of the faces of the Major League Baseball. He is just, he chose Philadelphia. I, I cannot get over that. Whatever. 13 home runs, 40 RBIs. Last year, Colin, do you remember how many RBIs he had last year? Yeah, I want to ah, say 84. Correct. That was in. And, and, and wait, wait. And how many solo home oh, runs? Oh, it was a lot. Exactly. I mean, it had to have been, a, had to have been at Too least many. 16 solo home runs. But 84 home runs off, or 35 home runs off 84 RBIs last year. 13 home runs. <laughs> 40 RBIs. That OPS last year that was sitting over a thousand, it's right about there. It's at 998. And he was awful the first two, like awful the first two weeks of the season. Like he was not Bryce Harper, it looked like. The first two weeks of the season, he was downright putrid. Gets hurt. 
has just been downright dominant at the DH position. He's finding ways to make an impact on this team, and he can't even throw a baseball. He can't throw a ball! He can't throw a ball, yet he's continuously making an impact every single night, night in and night out. This guy is just the epitome of a superstar. And I just marvel every day at the fact that he decided to play out his career here because it's spectacular. And it's something I will never, ever get tired of watching, ever. Yeah, it makes me a happy man. Uh, just like some of these younger guys do that I'd like to talk about. Uh, we have Bryson Stott, we have Mickey Moniak, and we have Alec Boone, uh, who have been a pleasure watching. Uh, Stott hasn't been amazing. Frankly, he hasn't been very good. Uh, but that key moment in yesterday's win, uh, where he hit a walk-off three-run home run, that needs to propel him forward, and I truthfully believe it will. Alec Boehm had a great day after slumping for a little bit. Three base hits. Love that for him. He needed it, and he is the one who start. He was the catalyst of that inning to which Bryson Stott walked off. He started off that inning with a base hit. And without him, the likelihood is that that whole, that whole situation does not unfold the way it does. These new kids are what the Phillies need. Let the kids play. Another reason why I hated Girardi was because he did not let these guys play. There's absolutely no reason a guy like Johan Camargo should be starting every single day. We signed him to be a utility guy if someone is out to be a solid bench bat. But he is not a starter. And Joe Girardi loved to see him as that. When realistically, how can you expect Stott to hit as well as he possibly can if you are not playing him every single day. Sure, Julio Rodriguez, a top five prospect, is a much higher prospect with a lot more talent, or arguably a lot more talent than Bryson Stott has, and he started off awful, batting well below the Mendoza line. And guess what? The Mariners continued to start him every day, and now he's raking. It is what I saw with Scott Kingery, and that's partially why I think he was ruined, because he was constantly thrown around the lineup, constantly played in different positions, and did not play every single day. I'm not saying that Scott Kingery is as good as Bryce Sott, because frankly, I believe that Bryce Sott is way better than he is. But the key to his success is play him every single day. Sure, Alec Boehm has slumped lately, but you saw how well he can hit when he has played every single day i don't want to see johan camargo on the field i'm fine with dd at short moving stop over to second for now because gene's hurt and i don't want to see a double herrera in center field anymore it was a great start dfaing roman quinn because he's awful and again joe girardi loved to play him but he's awful so let these kids play just let them play is all I ask. When you go back to the Seattle thing, you know, look at Jared Kelnick. I mean, he's spent almost a year and a half now being terrible, and he still consistently is in that lineup every single day because they trust the impact that they think that he can have moving forward. There's no reason to go out and get a veteran guy in the outfield to put in front of Kelnick, stunt his growth, because you really do believe that he's going to be a guy that can help you in the future. It's the same thing with Bryson Stott. 
I really do think once Didi's contract is up this year, he's out. Uh, Segura's going to maintain that second base spot, I think, personally. But I don't disagree with that. Gene Segura absolutely rakes, and he's the type of guy where I don't care whose growth he's stunting because he still hits close to 300. So, uh, like, stunt anybody's growth. I'll take the guy that's consistently batting major league level ready every single day. But Bryson Stott, I 100% agree with you. Mickey Moniak, I 100% agree with you. If these guys are healthy, they need to be playing every single day because they have the best chance to not only benefit your team's future, they have the best chance now. Who says Mickey Moniak doesn't have a better chance of getting a hit right now than Odubel Herrera or Roman Quinn? Nobody. Not one person in the world thinks that that's not a doable thing. It's the same thing that goes for Didi and Stott. I really firmly believe I have more confidence with Bryson Stott going up to the plate at this point in their careers than Didi Corius. Didi had a big hit in that game yesterday that even got Stott up to the plate. Stott doesn't come up to the plate if Didi doesn't pinch hit and get on. But that's exactly where the position that I'd like Didi to be. If I can get a nice pinch hit at a Didi in the ninth, great. Because that's a huge lefty bat off of your bench if a righty's in there throwing. But Didi is, quite frankly, terrible against lefties now. I mean, he's absolutely brutal. So the fact of the matter is, you have to put guys like that in positions to succeed. Playing them every day, especially when guys like Sandoval yesterday for the Angels are pitching, Didi never has success against them. So... He luckily got a hit against a lefty yesterday, a number that if the second or if the shortstop's playing, his position is caught easily, but got through, won the game. Is this the Rob Thompson effect? Because I really do believe that, like you said, Girardi loved playing guys like Didi Gregorius. That was his homie in, in the Yankees organization. They absolutely loved playing him every single time he had a chance, even if Stott was healthy. Stott actually got sent down to AAA earlier in the year because Didi was healthy and Girardi said, you know what? We're going to keep playing D. Uh, Rob Thompson, he's 3-0 as the manager. And look, he's managed the bullpen well. He's done a lot of things well that have helped this team. So I don't know. Is it the Rob Thompson effect? I, I don't know if it's the Rob Thompson effect or the Sia Girardi effect. True. <laughs> Is it, is it a matter of getting somebody else in there? Just getting Girardi out That's of true. there. Uh, we wanted to hit one more topic with Philly's talk, but we'll save it for next week. I'll give him one more week to, to see if I can even take that topic off my list. But for now, I'll give him I'll give him some time to breathe because he's been me. But Colin tells me he's going to heat. I'm not even going to say his name, but Colin tells me he's going to heat up this week. So hopefully, hopefully... That's right. So let's get into our final topic. As always, our Phillies of the week. Last time we were on the podcast, my Philly of the week was Corey Knebel. He's been awful. I mean, <laughs> I gotta pick anybody on the entire roster that was been better than this guy. He's had a couple chances that have come in, blown two of them. Yesterday he came in against the Angels in a tie game, blew that. So he really has had a terrible week. His ERA is up above around like a 3.5, I want to say. It's just not been a good time for Corey Knable. Uh Alec Baum was Colin's pick. Colin, you know, he did, did, did yeah. He was he was solid. He was hot, he was hot to start and he was not not to end it, but he had a good day yesterday against the Angels and I obviously you had a better pick than I did. So you are declared the winner for season two, episode two. So congratulations for that. But you can go first for your Philly of the week this week. So I don't steal your thunder. <laughs> Let me continue with Bryson Stott. He will be my Philly of the week. 
as long as he's played and with Girardi out of there, I believe that he will be played every day. If this walk-off home run on Sunday isn't a prime source of momentum, then I don't know what would be. If Girardi was still the manager on Tuesday, we would see Stott riding the bench in place of Didi. But Bryson Stott, if he plays every single day this week, he will be the Philly of the week, and I think he's absolutely going to break. I think he's going to hit a ton of home runs, but I think he's just going to hit. I think he's going to come up clutch in situations. Uh, I, I think you're going to see what, pro, like why he is such a good prospect, and why, and and this is the big thing for me. Why Bryce Harper loves this kid. Why Bryce Harper has so much faith in this guy. There is a reason, and I think that will be felt this week. There is a reason because he's been everything that he expected him to be so far, and of course, the Vegas connection, the roommate connection. He's got no choice but to believe in Bryson Stott's abilities. And, but that has showed because, like you said, he's been in the gym. He's been in the cages with who other but MV3. What better guy to learn from yeah. than that guy? They're both lefties, and they both want to succeed in the city of Philadelphia. Hopefully, they just do it together for the next. Because guess what? We still have Rush Harper for another 10 years. Oh, it's going to be glorious. Glorious. But... My Philly of the Week is a guy that always seems to say, ah, June, July, this is my time. I'm going to put y'all on my back, and I'm going to make sure that Bryce Harper doesn't need to do absolutely everything for this team. You remember last year, uh, the Washington Nationals had an outfielder that just went on absolute God tear. I mean... Something that we haven't seen in the MLB in a long, long time, in a month span. He had an absurd month of June last year, and now he's on the Philadelphia Phillies. That man is Kyle Schwarber. It's time to get hot, son. Time to get hot. June's the best. Yeah, June is the best month of his career. Last year with the Nats, 16 home runs, 30 RBIs. 22 runs scored off that leadoff position and hit to the tune of a 280 average. Oh, could you imagine if he even does half of that for the Philadelphia Phillies in the month of June? And June's already come. What is it? Very have, nice. It's June 6th. And what, is, what does he have? Three home runs this month? Three home runs this yes. month already? About six RBIs? Look. All I'm saying is this guy loves playing in certain times, and he's always been bad, necessarily, like, really bad in the first two months of the season. There was a shortened spring training as well, so it just adds to it. And on top of that, moving to a whole different city and being comfortable with your new team and all that good stuff. I think it's time for Kyle Schwarber to get hot, Con. I think it's time this week, and it'll start against the Milwaukee Brewers tomorrow. The Brewers and the Phils tomorrow night. That starts off a series, a three-game series in Milwaukee before they head home against the Arizona Diamondbacks. And hopefully, we will talk to you guys some point next week in that series against those dreaded fish. Those fish we can't beat. The Marlins. 
<laughs> and beat those fish. But nonetheless, three against the Brew Crew, three against the Diamondbacks in Milwaukee and then at home. And then hopefully we'll be back and talking to you guys with some wins. We need some more wins to get this thing rolling. Rob Thompson, 3-0 and is the Phil's manager. So oh, hopefully, yeah. you know, we continue the strides. We're only four-ish back in the wild card right now. The division looks kind of bleak right now, but still the LOL Mets up there. I still will hold out belief that they are the LOL Mets and not the SOS Mets. They will find a way to choke and not win. I know it. Hopefully. <laughs> but that is it for this episode. If you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find us on social media at Around the John Pod on Instagram and Around the John Everything Else. For my partner Colin Summer and the crew, who is us. <laughs> thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you around the jump. Peace out, guys.